business to help make you more successful in your professional and personal life. This is Amazing Business Radio with Shep Hyken. Shep Hyken here on Amazing Business Radio on the CBS and Play It Network. And I am extremely excited today because we have in the house Scott Page. Now, some of you don't know. Hey, I need to hear it with a horn. Okay. Oh, I should have had my horn out. I didn't do that. Yeah, because we're going to tell you about Scott Page. I'm going to tell you about Scott Page. How I how I met Scott Page. I'm at a party in L.A. and there's this rock band that's just you know just rocking it out, and uh, somebody introduces me to the guy that's in charge of the band, and it's Scott Page. And I got to sit in and play with him. And later I found out who he was. And so I, I is, is a rock star. He really is a rock star, ladies and gentlemen. You, we are talking to a true rock star, but also not just in the music business, but he's a rock star in regular business. But I called my son, who's a professional musician, and I said, hey, I just got off the stage from playing with Scott Page. And he said, Scott Page from Pink Floyd? So I knew it had to be true. If he knew, then it's absolutely true. That's right. Scott Page played with Pink Floyd. He played with Toto. He played with Supertramp. He formed a production company that that, did audio, video, post-production for small bands like the Rolling Stones, Bon Jovi, Janet Jackson, Garth Brooks. I can go on and on. Uh, He co-founded Seventh Level, which is a a gaming company, a CD-ROM gaming company back then. And actually, what's pretty cool about that, I believe that uh, you partnered, is this right, Scott? You partnered with Quincy Jones on this? Was this the project, or was it a different one? Well, no, Seventh Level, yeah. We um, actually did a joint venture and stuff and partnered with Quincy Jones. And Quincy, company. man, we are dropping names here. I mean, we oh, got yeah, you know. <laughs> Supertramp, Pink Floyd, Quincy Jones, Rolling Stones. Who else can we throw out there? Oh, gosh, good question. I think you got most of them. How about Will Maybe. Smith? Yeah, we worked with Will Smith uh, with one of my companies. And oh, yeah, out. one of my companies. Ladies and gentlemen, rock star, legend, on the stage and in the business world, welcome Scott Page to Amazing Business Radio. Well, thanks, Jeff. <laughs> I'm really, really happy to be here. First of all, let your listeners know that I'm the biggest Chef Hiking fan on the planet. Well, you and I love <laughs> you're too nice. We've had multiple times. Well, we've had some fun. And, oh, you know what? I know that you, you played with, with these great bands and you recorded with these great bands, but I can't think of a band that you probably enjoyed more than any band than the NSA Rockstar Band. Oh, yeah. Hey, that was a lot of fun. Hey, that was a blast. And we had some great players. You know, we had, uh, uh, let me see, who was playing? Mark was playing drums. Yeah, we had Mark Schulman, Schulman on drums with, with uh, drums, yeah. Foreigner. And, uh, yeah, that's right. We, we had uh, Freebo. On bass? Freebo, yeah, one of my faves. Gosh, I've worked with Freebo through the years. You know, he was with Bonnie Raitt and, you know, a whole bunch of folks through the years. Amazing, because he plays bass and tuba. Well, and, and, and by the way, NSA, and I, I mentioned this not long ago when we did a show, uh, NSA does not stand for the National Security Administration. It is the National Speakers Association. We're the ones that talk. They're the ones that listen. But on that particular night, we, we rocked the house when we opened their annual convention. A couple thousand people, screaming fans, and it was a blast, Scott. It really was. And thank you again for doing that with us. I mean, what a, what a great time we had. That was one of the – actually, that, it's interesting. That's one of the best conferences I'd ever been to, and I've been to tons of them. It's such a great bunch of folks and just an incredible energy, and we had a great time. I had a great time. It well, thank really you. Fun. And you know what's neat about the National Speakers Association is that – only about 30% of those members are actually 
uh, what you would call the typical speaker that gets up on a large stage and then delivers, you know, a keynote type of address. Uh, there's probably a lot of people listening out there that would benefit by just going to a few of the, even the local meetings because whenever they do a program on marketing, sales, uh, social media, and by the way, this is what kind of connected you and I together. Uh, when I found out what you were doing, and we'll get into that in just a little while, um, it just tied so closely with what we do at the National Speakers Association. If you're an entrepreneur of virtually any kind, and even uh, larger businesses can uh, benefit from some of the concepts, but they're very entrepreneurial grassroots type of, of strategies and tactics that are taught at these workshops and conferences. But anyway, I digress. You know what? I was just going to throw this in. What's interesting about the Speakers Association, everybody there are speakers, so everybody is such a wonderful communicator. Oh, yeah. Yeah, we're all outgoing. It's hard to get a word in edgewise. <laughs> yeah, it's great, actually. It's what's so fascinating. So let's talk about you. And before we, we get into the business side of things, I know your background is fascinating. Uh, and this is what was really cool. When I first met you, your partner from Phoenix, Arizona, um, mm -hmm. he and I were sitting at the bar, hanging out at this party, and I'm just talking about how great that band is. And, and I know he's smiling because I didn't know who he was and that he was even associated with you. But then he told me some trivia about you. Your first time you ever played, I, I, I'll call it professionally, you were on TV and you played, how old were you, by the way? Six or oh, eight? Probably not five, six years old, maybe seven, five to seven, someplace <laughs> in that range. And you were playing a trumpet? I was a trumpet player. It's actually very, it's funny. My dad, I come from a musical family. My father is a musician also, and he was on a show called The Lawrence Welk Show. He was I, one of the kind of original members of that band. A one, back. a two, a three. Yeah, exactly. I mean, there might be a few listeners out there that know who that is. But yeah, we. Uh, I used to do that with my dad. He was on that show for like 14 years, and so through the years I'd done shows. We actually did one, which was kind of funny, where I, I played my trumpet, and my dad played two clarinets, and we water skied at the same time. Which oh, my. Kind of so how does a six-year-old play the trumpet? I mean, are your, are your lips and mouth, is it strong enough to blow that, that horn? Well, yeah, but you just don't play that good yet. <laughs> <laughs> you don't play that good. Well, what a great way to start. And I know I, when I was a kid, and I mean I was a young kid, I remember Lawrence Welk was on, I think it was on Saturday nights. And Saturday nights. Yep, it was always on right before the, you know, the shows that you know, we all wanted to watch when my parents went out and the babysitter came over. So, well, so great. That's your first foray into professional music. And by the way, I saw a great YouTube video of you and your dad playing sax together. Oh yeah, that we well, actually I played trumpet on that video. On that video, my dad played saxophone. I was a trumpet player all the way up until college, and then I took up the saxophone, and that's kind of what a, my claim to fame is more about about a saxophone player than a good old trumpet player. Yeah, but you also play guitar. I mean, you're an all-around uh, musician, and uh, I understand you did some vocals with some of these bands as well. I haven't heard you sing. I know it's real hard to sing when you're playing that sax at the same time, but um, I'm impressed that you can even do that. So you played with these great bands. Tell me, how did you get connected uh, into the world of professional music? I mean, I know your dad was there, but I'm talking about rock star level uh, type type work. You know, my dad always instilled in me that, you know, the most important thing, what you're going to be, what you want to do, be around that business. So I just, you know, at that time, I when I actually I really didn't get into the music business really until I was in college. I studied to be an architect, and I was 
working as a draftsman for a company called Audiodyne. And those are the days when you had to use a pencil and a, and a ruler, you know, way prior to computers. And um, at that time, I was uh, I played trumpet and stuff, just the kind of music for my dad at the time, because he always told me, you know, it's a great way to make a little extra money. And so I kind of did it for him. But then I got in a band, uh, early band, with uh, Jeff Beccaro and David Page, who of Toto fame. And we had a kid band called uh, Merciful Soul Band, and it became Rural Still Life. And uh, I just eat, drink, sleep music at that time. And what I, at the time, like I was saying, I was as I was a draftsman, drinking a lot of coffee and hanging out and drawing all the time. And then I got in this band, and we started winning all the battle of the bands. And the nice part about those, there were a lot of girls. <laughs> so at that moment, I made a major decision and said, hey, I'm going to go into the music business. So I just took it whole, you know. Wow, yeah. I can, yeah, drafting. Uh, I don't know what kind of girls hang around uh, the office, but they're probably not too bad, but compared to, you know, the rock star world. And then, so, Toto, you were hanging out with these guys, and, and Super Tramp and Pink Floyd. You told me a great story about when you met the Pope. No, I didn't meet the Pope. I met, uh, it was uh, Lady Di, Charles and Lady Di. We oh, okay, Charles and Lady Di. Okay, I thought it was, I thought the Pope had the, uh, uh, the gift set. For the Pink no, Floyd. that was when I, I actually did. I had a be when we were there with Pink Floyd. Um, I friended a guy that was one of the, the head photographer and uh, for the for the Vatican. Oh, for the and Vatican! He, uh, okay, great. Invited me. Uh, he invited me to this uh, to the Vatican, and I got a really special tour. And we actually got went to the Pope's store. There's actually a Pope's store, believe it or not. Hey, the and Pope's got to make some extra money, right? Yeah. Yep, got to make some extra dough. But what was really fascinating is I, we, we were taking up into the Pope radio station where they have the actual, the very first original Marconi microphone. And it's that window that he sits at when he talks to everybody out to the, the crowd. And it was fascinating because that, I was so, it was so interesting because the, that radio station they had was like really old school, man, big knobs, you know, very analog. And uh, it was a funny story. So when they, I got there and they knew I was playing with Pink Floyd, the guy actually ran in and pulled out the, the Pope's box set of the Pink Floyd, the wall, you know, it has the whole wall with everything, and uh, had it out and brought it out for me to sign. So I thought that was funny that the Vatican had the Pink Floyd wall box set. I think that's so. great. I think that's great because, you know what, and I know that the current Pope we have, he, he really is a cool dude. I mean, the guy gets out there. He's, he's real people. And, uh, yep. Good. Well, that's cool. So uh, you're you're still playing around. Uh, we can catch in. And uh, one of the I think cool titles that you have is that you are like one of the coolest people in Los Angeles. They actually have like best looking people in the world. Well, one of the coolest people in Los Angeles. That's a title you can't take away. Yeah, it was uh, interesting. It was uh, Buzz Magazine did a thing they did for years you know, the coolest people, and I got to be one of them. But I don't know why I was so cool that I got to do it, but it was still very uh, an honor for sure. So how did you move into the world of business? Well, actually, when I was out on the road, I, when I was a kid, I always wanted to do three things in my life. And one was, um, you know, I, once I got into the music scene, I wanted to do music, and then I wanted to do business. And then the last one was documentary, which I'm actually in the middle of right now. Uh, with all the archives that I pulled together for the last 50 years. Uh, but I, um, uh, while I was out on the road, I'd be reading business books, and Dave Gilmore, the guitar player in Pink Floyd, used to always look over and kind of, what are you doing? I said, Dave, I'm going to have me a business one of these days. So I studied while I was out on the road. We were out on a two-year tour. I basically studied business. And uh, in between tours, I started a company called Walt Tucker, which was named after my two heroes, Walt Disney and Preston Tucker, the car manufacturer because of their kind of pioneering spirit. 
And uh, so I launched that company in between and kept uh, working on it. And uh, it was an audio video post-production facility and merchandising business. And like you said, we did a lot of the, uh, all the post-production and stuff for uh, bands like the Rolling Stones, Janet Jackson, Garth Brooks, and blah, 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 a bunch of those kind of bands. And then I also had the merchandising business where we did all the merchandise for a lot of musical company, music companies, you know, Guitar Center, uh, uh, Yamaha, Con Musical Instrument Company. So that was my foray into the business world. And then I saw this whole idea of, of technology coming along and uh, was at a trade show in, uh, uh, in Vegas called Comdex, which was kind of the precursor to CES. I don't know. You remember right. Comdex? Comdex is a big, huge computer show. I actually worked that show a number of times. Uh, and yeah. CES is the com uh, Consumer Electronics Show, which uh, I guess Comdex kind of faded. Is there? Do yeah. they still have a Comdex? I don't know if they do. No, no, yeah. no more Comdex. It's all CES, no and and boy, is that like the coolest show to go to? Yeah, and so I was there actually with Jeff Baxter. I had actually just finished doing my first CD-ROM because I started hanging out in this kind of whole cyber scene. I saw what was going on in this kind of interactive media, and it just it really. It excited me because I love the idea of being able to kind of interact, new forms of media. And I was sitting there, Jeff Baxter and me, we were playing in the booth for a product we put out called Pro, uh, uh, called Music Bytes, which was for computers at the time. There was music, background music, so it was a light, uh, music library at the time for a specific kind of computer uh, users. And I was looking across the room, and I saw this title. I saw something on the screen, so I walked up to it, and it was a thing called Gram on Me, just Gram on Me. It was a kid's title. And it was one of those things you could click and an action would happen. And I, I basically saw my future at that moment. And I really started focusing on the, you know, diving into the whole multimedia area of, of computer interactive entertainment. And that's been my love for years. I just got fascinated. So through that, I actually met a guy by the name of George Grayson uh, there who was running the 20th largest software company in the United States at the time called Micrographics. We hit it off real big and, uh, we start hanging, and I start building some products and stuff for them. And the next thing you know, we're, we're, we're doing a big event in uh, uh, Vegas the next year at Comdex uh, for the National Center of Missing and Exploited Children. And I put on an event called the Grand Scientific Musical Theater. And uh, that whole musical theater thing was, I had Cirque du Soleil, I had John Anderson from Yes, Tower of Power Horns, John Entwistle from The Who, uh, uh, gosh, you know, Peter Max was painting real time on oh big video walls, and so it was a big multimedia show for the first time. And from that, uh, just basically saw my future. And a gentleman by the name of Bob Ezrin, who some might know, uh, Bob is uh, one of the you know world's greatest well-known producers. He produced you know all the Pink Floyd albums, and he found you know Kiss and a variety of other things. We felt the energy there, and right after that, he came up to me and says, buddy, we got to go build a business. So we started a company called uh, Seventh Level, which was really taking Walt Tucker and merged it in, and we created this company. Cool. Since then, I've just been big time into tech and technology and well, kind of that whole area. We're going to learn more about that in just a moment. We need to take a really short break, and when we come back, I want you to finish the story because you have made this massive transition from uh, really musician to uh, technology guru and entrepreneur and you're doing incredible things so we'll be right back don't go away this is amazing business radio we've been talking with scott page we'll be right back 
You're listening to Amazing Business Radio with best-selling author and customer service and business expert, Shep Hyken. Shep Hyken here back on Amazing Business Radio talking with Scott Page about an amazing career that's gone from uh, really a rock star musician at the highest level, touring around huge stadiums, uh, doing incredible shows, to entrepreneur and starting a company and getting partners like uh, Quincy Jones and investors like Michael Milken, uh, which that would be interesting, meeting Mike and Michael Milken. Tell us about that. Oh, yeah. Mike, uh, is a, first of all, he's a great guy. He's a great guy and probably one of the smartest people I've ever met. I mean, he just is a, a walking encyclopedia of knowledge. And uh, we were very fortunate during Seventh Level. He came in and he funded the company. Uh, before we took it public, we ended up taking the public uh, about 18 months later. But Mike was our, our first real investor that came into the company. And it's actually interesting. Uh, part of uh, one of the things Mike does is he's a massive math whiz. And he's created a whole thing called Mike's Math Club. So I was actually producing Mike Milken, believe it or not, and putting together some CD-ROM titles based on all his math stuff. So I'd go to his house every week, and we'd work together on pu- putting the uh, math quiz whiz thing stuff together. So it was really fun. But Mike's a great guy. Learned a ton from him, that's for sure. So, I mean, uh, th- you, you you know, once again, another major name drop, okay? How about this? I'm going to throw one out there that we that isn't even on any of the paperwork that you sent me, but I know you're, you're doing some hang time with this guy, Elon Musk. Yes? Yeah, I'm not actually hanging with Elon Musk. Elon Musk, what you're talking about is the Hyperloop. Right, the Hyperloop, and, the and, Hyperloop. and, and I think, isn't he part of uh, Metal? Um, yeah, I believe he is part of, of Ken's group, yes. Mm-hmm. I think so. So, uh, yeah, the Hyperloop is a really interesting project. You know, it's this rapid transit in a tube idea that Elon Musk had put out. It's actually based on some early designs back in the 1800s, and uh, they're actually fruition. But, you know, what's so fascinating about the Hyperloop is it's being built by the crowd. There's about 400 people working all around the world, and they're all working for equity. There's no money being done, but it's just a big labor of love to really go out and solve uh, the transportation problems and a series of other sustainability problems. It's an incredible product project, and I'm really, really happy to be on the, I'm on the marketing and media team, and it's just wonderful people, but it's so fascinating what the people can do now because of all this technology that connects us all together. So what does the Hyperloop do? I mean, uh, in, in a nutshell, you say it's, it's the transportation industry. I, I think of it as it's something that's going to connect us all through transportation. Yes, what's interesting, yeah, so what's interesting is it's a, it's a new transportation system that runs around 875 miles an hour. So you can go, they'll set up, the, you get into this little, you jump into this tube, and the next thing you know, in, in, from Los Angeles to San Francisco, it's about 30 minutes. So it's, uh, this is actually being built. They're getting ready to break ground in, in Quay Valley coming up here to do the test run. But this was all initiated by Elon Musk, and uh, the Hyperloop team have now been taken to the next level. So it's, it's going to be really interesting. It's, it's basically, not only is it fast transit, but it's very inexpensive. It's very energy efficient, like only five bucks to run a trip train to San Francisco or run one of these tubes to San Francisco. So it's going to really be able to bring people closer together faster. Wow. And right? can you imagine if they build these tubes connecting other major cities? I mean, uh, I think uh, from the standpoint of sustainability and green to yes. cost, and I know it, it costs to build it, but once it's built, uh, you know, it becomes reasonable once it's scaled out. Wow. So, yeah. and on, 
that it's much it, it's just much cheaper to build i mean it's the whole thing is much cheaper than building you know railways and all that kind of stuff so it's very cost effective and uh, they're actually working on ways to try to make the travel as close to free as possible so everybody be able to move around. Oh, my. Wow. Incredible. Cool. All right. So yep. let's talk about your current business that you are deep, deep, deep into, which is yes. Ignited Artist. And this yep. is a pretty cool concept. And before we get into this, I just want to say for the people listening, hopefully you've, you've enjoyed the backstory here. But when we start talking about Ignited Artist, while this is focused on the artist, the musician, this is applicable to virtually any business. I saw ideas coming from this, uh, from the discussions that Scott and I have had over the last couple of years that really could apply to any business. Uh, so, Scott, tell us a little bit about this. Yeah, yeah and you're right, Shep. The, the kind of the, what we're doing with Ignite and Artists, everything we're doing is really just kind of the new way of people communicating and, and uh, basically building uh, – you know, relationships with your customers and things. So what Ignited Artist is really, I've um, been doing, you know, I've been doing Ken Rakowski's Business Rockstars radio show for almost the last two years. And, well, give uh, us a plug that, for that. So yeah. it's, it's every week, or it's actually every day. It's in uh, how many markets? Uh, about 188 or 190 markets. Right, and you're on Thursdays, I believe. Two Thursdays, I do the music mentoring. So what we've been doing is we bring in artists, and we don't talk about the music. We really just talk about the business. And through this, by going and talking to us, I finally started to realize that artists are, you know, they don't think like an entrepreneur or a business in the same way that you would do a startup. And so I believe that every artist needs to think like a startup business. So we, we talk about the business and uh, kind of try to help them with their strategies. And from that, I, I, I realized that there needs to be a way to help train these folks. And I started looking into the idea of building uh, an, a, a music accelerator, similar to like y, y Combinator or 500 Startups, you know, a startup incubator, where we go out and we discover artists. When we find them, then we bring them into the accelerator. We, we basically have a, a group of the top producers and mentors in the space, tastemakers, and we evaluate each of these artists if they're if they look like they've got what it takes to kind of run their business today, we bring them in the accelerator. We go through a whole validation and work with them and train them in, you know, story, getting them to get their story right, their branding, artist development, and all of that. And then at the end of it, if uh, they we work out, we're uh, putting a fund together to kind of fund, help fund these artists. And, uh, you know, we do all the, the training and teaching and really thinking about lean startup principles and all the things you would do with a business. Because today, the artist has the greatest time. I believe it's the greatest time for the independent artist. And this is the rise of the independent era for small businesses and our art, uh, artists in general. Because, you know, now we have, we're fully connected using, uh, you know, our cell phones. Our customers are sitting there 24-7. Uh, you know, distribution is virtually free. The tools to, to create content and all that stuff's virtually free. So it's really, we believe that the next phase and the next, the next where the real dollars is in what we call the relationship product. Uh, in the music business today, music is pretty much free. You know, that you know, people don't really want to pay for it. They just feel that it's a free thing. So something else has to be sold, and we believe that it's in the relationship, and it's based on the super fans. So we're building out the accelerator, and at the same time, we're actually building, a, being a tech guy myself and building tech for so many years now, I saw an opportunity to solve a big problem for the artist, and that is... How do I convert my, convert my fan into a super fan? Right. So define super, super fan. fan is, 
And model is based on what I call it's 100,000 true fans. A true fan is somebody who will spend $100 a year. So if I have 1,000 of those fans, there's my first $100,000 in revenue. So what we preach is artists don't think about going big, and I suggest this for anybody going building a business, but to actually go small, build, build, a, build a, a repeatable model around a small group of people, and then grow from there. Because you know we're today, just like we're on this radio, we're all in the media business. Every company is basically in the media business. And because of all the new kind of marketing methods, such as inbound marketing, and uh, you know, there's things like growth hacking and stuff like that. There's a whole new way to basically find and target your audience, and then be able to uh, basically convert them through conversion funnels. Uh, you know, a conversion funnel for those that don't know is basically you have your first communications. You talk you you talk to your customer one way, then the second time you talk to them, you talk to them another way, and you keep creating value until you actually convert them through to actually being a paying customer. So. With Ignited Artists, the goal is is to find these artists, help them be entrepreneurs, and, and then move them onto our platform, which is really an engagement tool for them to have a direct connect with their fans, and the fans have a direct connect with them. So, so it, it, it yeah, it sounds like you're you're looking for people that have talent. Of actually, uh, Scott, I think you're looking for people a little bit like you, and and I mean this in this the highest compliment, somebody that's got talent but also has a brain for the business. They have to have that ability uh, to do it. I mean, I know that uh, an artist sometimes is really that, just an artist. And that's why they call them starving artists sometimes, because they don't have the best business background. But it sounds like you're taking uh, somebody that's great at what they do and has this seed that you know that if you water, it will germinate and it will grow. Yeah, we look for artists that are that really know how to engage and, and bring the community in and, you know, because it's so different now. You have to be just a musician. Now, I'm not saying you still can't do it the same way, but those, you know, that's a 0.02% of the market. The key is right now is building your tribe. Uh, if you think about it from an artist's point of view, can I get two or 3,000 fans that care about me from a global perspective? Can I build product and create enough value for them to want to, you know, basically spend roughly, let's say, eight bucks a month or something. Uh, that's really the trick. And if we go small and build that relation, build that repeatable model, then you can grow. It's really the, the new formula. Right. I love that. All right. So when we come back, we're going to talk more specifics about how any business can take advantage of this formula. And I know you have something that's really near and dear to your heart. And it, it actually became a, a focal point of what we've been trying to do the last six months in our business. We'll talk about that right after we get back from the break. Uh, you're listening to Amazing Business Radio. Don't go away. This is Amazing Business Radio with Shep Hyken. Shep Hyken here back on Amazing Business Radio talking with Scott Page, rock star, business rock star, and business star all, all around. So ignited artists, taking artists and, and making them successful. And, and as you mentioned, Scott, it's probably the best time in the world to be an independent artist. We have the social media and the internet at our feet to be able to do with what we want and need to do to scale out the business. You talked about starting small, building a fan base of just a thousand fans who are willing to spend a hundred dollars. Now you just said before the break, that's about $8 a month. And it sounds to me like you're leaning toward this subscription model of business, uh, which is a really hot, hot, topic. People think of magazine subscriptions, but now businesses are starting to recognize the importance of ongoing 
uh, just automatic renewal of of business. Yes, absolutely. I mean, that is a very exciting area. We're starting to see if there are other music platforms that are out there that are going this way. And it's starting to really take off because, again, the rabid fans, the people that really care about you, they want to support their artist and even or your business or whatever. As long as you the, – the key is just creating value. The biggest problem artists and businesses and everybody out there has right now is how do I rise above the noise? Because of this new found world of you know free distribution, tools, direct connect, it's fantastic. It's a great thing. The problem is, is because there's so everybody can do it, it's created a noise level, and you have to think about how do I rise above the noise? And that goes back to the you know the thing we talked about the other day. There's uh, and you're seeing this model starting to happen with all of these uh, companies like Tom's Shoes, um, uh, Starbucks, Patagonia, Timberland. They're all now starting to take a, a different point of view where it's more about what, you know, not only can I make money and do what I'm doing, but what can I give the community? How can I give back? So one of the things that we do with the artist, the first the question I ask an artist, which is interesting, is, hey, what problem are you solving? And most artists look at me like, huh? What do you mean? I write my stuff, right? So it's not, it's, it's the, the point I'm trying to make is, is that the opportunity to, basically give back and build your business works really well for kind of growing your base. So, you know, in an example is there's 17 sustainable issues that are out there put out by the UN now, and that's everything from poverty to change to, you know, water consumption. So we, we look for artists to say, hey, what do you stand for? What is your unique, you know, your unique value proposition? And how can you really be, be more than just being an artist? So, we believe that the new model is this. You're not a company or an artist on a mission. You need to be a mission, and you happen to have a company or you happen to be an artist. By creating that mission, that gives people other things to get involved with. It allows you to find the people that care about that, and it helps you kind of rise, you know, gives you something to talk about. And at the same time, you're helping people. So let's so, talk about Tom's Shoes as an example. Uh, yep. Tom's has, uh, it's, it's a great cause. Uh, and, and by the way, I can think of so many companies that have a very heavy community focused. And, and this is all about giving back. And, and I know, I think where you're going with this, Scott, is that the more you give, the more you get. People want to be a part of that mission if they believe in what you do. Um, I know that uh, Jack Dorsey, the CEO of Twitter, his mission has to do with providing fresh water to places that can't get fresh water so that they have drinking water. That's huge. Uh, you've got uh, companies, uh, Ace Hardware, one of my clients who I do a lot of work with, donates a tremendous amount of money to the Children's Miracle Network. But Tom's Shoes, I love it, and I was very intrigued. You buy a pair of shoes, and they donate a pair of shoes to someone that can't afford a pair of shoes. That creates that win-win, that it gives you know, giving back, because you're right, uh, you know, the more you give, the more you get. I mean, it's one of the, you know, spiritual principles of all time, and it really does work, and it's it's wonderful because you get to actually help and make something happen at the same time, grow your business. Yeah. By the way, it has to be genuine. You can't fake uh, the, the giving part. If you're giving it uh, with major strings attached, the public will figure you out. Oh, yeah, that's the key right now. You, I mean, the one thing that is there... It has to be authentic. 
So it has to be something that you really care about and that you really want to make happen. Otherwise, you're right. You're going to get found out, and then it's just a, a marketing play, you know, and that's, that's not a good thing. Yeah, and no, no doubt, com- I mean, companies use uh, their community involvement. Is, it is marketing to a degree. Uh, there, there was a, a gentleman that I interviewed for my last book who actually was a retailer, and he came up against a big box store who moved into his area. He couldn't compete with them with all the advertising, so what he decided to do was pull all the ads that he was paying for because they were outspending him by 60 to 1. Every dollar he spent, they would spend 60. He said, I can't compete with that. And he just went all to the local businesses or actually the local schools and churches and said, you know what? You guys need a sponsor for your party. You need a sponsor for the softball team, sponsor for the little kids, you know, soccer club. I'm your guy. Let me do it for you. And he has managed to compete by giving back, which is a pretty cool concept. Oh, it's, it, it is. And it's actually, especially today with the millennials, it's important because if you look at their habits and what they're, they do care. They care about the climate. They care about these water issues. They care about you know, poverty. And so it's just a really great way to connect with, you know, the customer out there that's basically starting to take over. What is it? 50 something percent of the states is, are millennials. Is right. That the right number? And it's growing. <laughs> and it's growing like crazy. Yeah. And, and as they age into becoming uh, seasoned professionals at what they do and, and become more and more a part of the business world, they are going to control uh, everything, and uh, in, a, in a good way, in a positive way. It's not like they're taking over the world and it's bad, no. But I think the, the generation that's big, it's coming into uh, mainstream. So giving back is a huge part of it, and I know that's one of your big strategies. I, I want to get back to this, too. We, we started to talk about the subscription model. You mentioned you know, right. $100, $8 a month. And I want to just kind of, as my, I, my mind was going, go, how does this relate? So it's the artist probably saying, hey, we'll give you a song every month, or we'll give you something tied to our music or, or whatever. But any business can do this. Uh, imagine that you sell dog food, and you know that your customer is going to run out of dog food every month. Just to have the dog food deliver and charge an ongoing subscription if you will, uh, you know, maybe it's I don't know, twelve dollars a month for dog food. I don't know what dog food costs uh, these days, but it also depends on the size of the dog. I guess how much dog food you would get. But I mean, that's a subscription model. Maybe you're in the uh, you know you're a, a, a CPA, you're an accountant, and you say, you know what? Uh, here's how it works in my business. Uh, you don't pay me once a year when I send you a bill. You pay me once a month, uh, and for that, this is what you get. It's an ongoing subscription. Any type of business, manufacturing, um, uh, you know, any, any, you know, services, any, and obviously the music industry can provide an ongoing, uh, you know, what I would call uh, ongoing, you know, uh, financial subscription model. Uh, yeah, absolutely. The main thing, though, the most important part of that is you have to have something of real value. Right. People have to want it. They're not going to pay you for it if you don't have the value. Exactly. And so... Remember, it's about how can, I, how can I help them? Because in this new world, it's really what they call with them. What's in it for me, right? People, so you, the model is now it's not about you. It's about your customer. So what can I provide to the customer all the time? Then bring them into the spotlight and uh, kind of nurture that relationship. Because, again, it's in the relationship. And as you know, especially on the financial side, a big portion of the money, the big one is that reoccurring you know, uh, repeatable model. So you have a reoccurring revenue stream. So it's really about the retention 
retention is critical in this new new world. And building that retention means you have to create something that people want every day. So there's a lot of thought has to be put into how that works. But if you get that right and you're helping people, it can really help you grow your business. And at the same time, you're helping solve some big problems. And it's, it's just a win-win for everybody. Right. All right. So we're starting to wind down, but I know there's a real important topic that you want to cover, and that is your process that you call space. Yeah, space. And this is good for any business because this, I believe, is the model for any business startups going out. And space is this. The S is for story. The P is for plan. The A is for army. The C is for conversion. And the E is for education. Story. Why story? Story is critical because not only does that help you rise above the noise, it also gives you the keywords and the things that you need so that you can go out and target audience. We now have the tools through data analytics that if you're going to put a product out, you want to put it in front of the people that care most about it so you get a better conversion. So getting your story right is critical. Plan is another one that's critical. And what I want to recommend, if you're not following the Lean Startup principles, uh, you can go get, there's a book called The Lean Startup by Eric Reese. But it's, it's basically, there's a thing called the Lean Canvas, which is a one-page business plan. And you can get that at leanstack.com and look for the tools. But this allows you to kind of plan. It asks you nine questions. Simple. You don't have to write a 60-page business plan. It really helps you focus your business. Once you get your plan, your branding, your, your key message, your, your story in place, and get the next thing now is engaging your army. So we do with all of our artists, I have them build a list of all their super fans, and then we research and find out what they do. What I did when I was doing Monty Python, we, produced, we did uh, work with Pythons for 15 years. We did Python line, and one of the things that we did was build the Python army. And then we, I reached out to everybody that wanted, I needed bloggers, I needed Photoshop guys, I needed video editors. And we built that team and group of people, and that became the army. And when we did campaigns, they would create thousands of pieces of media and help us spread the word. So building your army, finding your super fans is the A, and engaging them and creating value for them. Then the C is conversion. Everything is about conversion. And there's so much data now on how to convert. We have all the answers on what it takes, how you need to talk to your customer. Uh, we talked a bit about the conversion funnels, how those work. So learning that those techniques so that you know whatever you're trying to do, there's a call to action and there's a way to convert. And there's all this science now, and there's guys that they call growth hackers and stuff that can really help you take the data, figure it out, and really help you target an audience. And then the last one is education. And what I mean by that is all those things that I just spoke about, you can't really do unless you get educated. The beauty is, is there's so many great places to get all this information right online, right through searches. And I wanna, I'll recommend one site to everybody out there, uh, HubSpot, which is a, a, a content marketing kind of company, and they have tools and stuff. If you go to HubSpot.com, there's a tab that they call the Academy tab, and in that tab, you're going to find like 100 free eBooks, and they're okay, free. And, like and they don't minute. cost. That's what's amazing is the Internet yeah. has provided us with uh, a huge wealth of this educational information. So HubSpot.com. Yeah, go to the Academy, and they have things like Twitter for Business and how to use Facebook ads, and all about conversion and, and creating community and all of that. And so it's a wonderful resource. It's totally free. I recommend to my artists, every artist, you get up in the morning, you spend two to three hours getting educated, you spend the next couple hours interacting with your fans, and then the rest of the time you work on your music. And that has to become the formula because it's, it's all about how do I, how do I turn my, my, my business into a real business because – 
The other question I ask every artist, is this a business or a hobby? If it's a hobby, fine. If it's a business, then you have to treat it like a business. Right, and that doesn't mean it's, you know, it's, you're, uh, it could be a passion that you have. Turning your passion or turning what you love into business is exceptional. And, and Scott, you and I are lucky, uh, and, and, and a number of our friends, and in, in the business that we're in, musicians don't decide when they get out of school, oh, I'm going to go apply for the job of being a musician, or in my case, I'm going to go apply for the job of being a speaker. You know, so many times, you know, my friends that I grew up with, and I'm sure yours as well, although you were probably hanging around a lot more of the artist type than I was, but many of our buddies from high school and college, when they got out, they didn't have a purpose. Their purpose was go get a job, any job. And guess what? Yep. They're still doing that job that they had no idea what they're going to do. You started playing music when you were a kid. You yep. started playing with technology. Look at what you're doing. I started speaking, for lack of a better term, doing my magic shows when I was a kid, which turned into a speech. But we are lucky. We've taken our passions and even our hobbies and turned it into business. Um, Harvey McKay, uh, who you may or may not have met at one of the NSA meetings, but a great, great author, uh, businessman. Uh, I don't know if it's his quote, but I'm going to attribute it to him because I saw it in one of his books. And it said, uh, you know, do what you love, love what you do. And you'll never work a day in your life. Yep, that's a truism. I would want to say one thing about passion, which is an interesting word. Um, you know, I could be passionate about about basketball and want to be a basketball player, but physically I would just never make it. So we have to be careful. I mean, we want to bring our passions in, but we've got to make sure that we are able to execute on those passions based on our skill sets and things. So. I always get a little nervous when people say, just to follow your passion. Well, your passion could drive you into a hole if you're not capable of doing that. So it's you want that passion cl- clearly because that's what gets you up every day and drive. But, you know, be careful of just making it a passion play if you're especially if you're not don't have the skills. And I'll agree with that, but I'm going to throw a little curve in there. And that is you may, you know, and I know there's a bunch of short basketball players out there and that are doing well in the NBA. However, you may not have the talent to be a professional basketball player, but that doesn't mean you can't play in that world. My daughter is a perfect example of that. She just graduated college a year ago. When she went to college, she thought, I want to be a musician. She spent, uh, did some time at Berklee College of Music in Boston and realized, great yeah, great school. Uh, I think Quincy Jones uh, uh, has a doctorate out of, out of there. Uh, I, or maybe it's honorary, but it's pretty cool. Um, John Mayer, a bunch of famous artists. Uh, but she realized when she saw her colleagues and her fellow students that she had chops, but they weren't quite what she thought they were compared to the others. And she said, you know what? I just love this industry. And now she manages bands and she's going to work for a label. And it's really cool. She's followed her passion. And it really, she figured out, you know, and I believe, by the way, she was very talented. And if she really wanted to, she could have probably pursued uh, it as as an actual artist. But now she's in the business side. So I believe you do get to follow your passion. You may have to twist a little bit. So space, I love it. Story. Plan, army, converge, uh, uh, con- yeah, convergent, and uh, E is education. And that education piece, take the time to constantly grow and educate yourself. Yep. And remember, use that search bar. All you got to do is type in what you're looking for, and there it is, right? Yeah. So it's an incredible tool. I mean, this is the greatest time in history to get educated and learn. That's what I love about Twitter. 
I'm a Twitter fanatic, not so much about the thing. It's the people I get to meet and the education that I get out of is extraordinary. Yeah, connections so. are amazing. We're we're totally connected. Well, Scott, man, we could we could go on for hours and hours, and I just can't tell you how much I appreciate the time you took to be with us, to be on the show. This is why we call it Amazing Business Radio, because you truly are amazing. Well, thank you very much. I'm, thank you for having me. I mean, I always enjoy doing this. And- on top of it for you, Shep. Anything, buddy. Well, and, and, and ditto back at you. So, ladies and gentlemen, thanks for tuning in. My name's Shep Hyken. We've been talking with Scott Page. This is Amazing Business Radio. We'll see you on the next show. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.